All right, guys, okay. recording in three, two, one. Welcome back to another episode of the MedHead Podcast. Today we have a very special episode as I'm very excited to announce that the MedHead Podcast in collaboration with the Syrian Advisors will be starting a mini series highlighting Syrian professionals in the medical field. Today I'm joined by Brunil Chimaki, the founder of Assyrian Advisors and Savet Asator, a current first year medical student at UC Davis. Um, I'll let you guys introduce yourself, but first off, I wanna thank you guys for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on our podcast and give your experiences in order to help give some guidance to all the pre-meds that are watching this. Hi, everyone. So I'm Brunil Chimaki. I'm the founder of Assyrian Advisors. I'll be uh, speaking to Sivette a little bit about her background and upbringing and things that kind of shaped her into wanting to pursue medicine. Uh, so you guys can all get a better idea of who she is. Um, so we'll cover some different aspects of Savet's life and then also go into the admissions process so you guys can get a good idea of you know, how to get into med school and her experience. Savet is a, an MD candidate at UC Davis School of Medicine. She earned her Bachelor of Science in Biology, graduating at the top of her class, summa cum laude, from Cal State University Stanislaus. And she's currently the chairperson of UC Davis, a UC Davis student-run clinic. So, you know, at a young age, she's accomplished a lot of great things. And we're really excited to have her here and get to know kind of how she ended up doing this. What were some of the fun things she's done, some of the difficulties she's went through and, and how she got to where she is. So, uh, Savette, I've seen a whole arc of your transition from undergrad and the MCAT and applications to getting to med school. And eventually now becoming a student advisor and, and uh, becoming, you know, someone who's contributing back and helping out other Assyrians, which is great. And I, I've enjoyed seeing this. You were actually once advised by Dr. O'Hara Evas, who's a very well-known dermatologist uh, in L.A. and well-known within our community. And John Zia, who's doing his MD, Ph.D. at Emory and Georgia Tech, both brilliant people. And I know they helped you uh, when you were applying. And now you've come full circle and you're an advisor yourself. And like I said, it's been really satisfying to observe this and see your growth. So I wanna go through and talk a little bit about your upbringing first. So where did you grow up? So I was originally born in Iran and my family immigrated here when I was three, almost four. Um, and then I pretty much spent the rest of my life in Turlock, California, good old Central Valley, filled with a whole bunch of Syrian, big community. Nice. Yeah. So it's like, uh, for those who are tuning in, like Turlock's like a huge hub for Assyrians. A lot of Assyrians are, are there. So it must have been cool to grow up there. Um, how, uh, how many immediate family members did you have, like siblings, things like that? So I have one older sister who I would say shaped a lot of my path and career goals. I mean, just, I'm a big proponent of if someone else can do it, so can I. So it was nice to have a sister that was also in healthcare. My sister's a recently graduated pharmacist now is working at a CVS, but she was big in like finding out little, you know, as immigrants, like we don't really know a lot. We don't really know the pathway. So it was nice to have her where she made mistakes and then would 
turn around and make sure that I didn't make the same mistakes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So that must have been a nice to have. Was there a reason why like you were gravitated towards med school? She wanted to do pharmacy. Did she push you to do med school? No. Um, I think many of us can resonate with the fact that with Assyrian parents, they either say you're either going to be a doctor, or you're going to be a lawyer. And then somewhere along the line, when my dad used to say those phrases, I really, really enjoyed medicine. Um, I vividly remember telling him, like, I'm thankful that you pushed me down this path. But if there was ever a moment I wasn't interested in it, I don't think I would have made it this far because it definitely is challenging and it has its hardships. Um, so I would say my dad definitely put me on the right path, but then it became more so like the opportunity. We're realizing if we were still in Iran, I am a female Christian, like the idea of me becoming a physician would have been slim to none. <laughs> Where having the opportunities here and just being able to actually explore and finding what gravitated me towards it, I would say, was definitely, that was one of the factors my dad definitely nudged me. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing. It seems to be like uh, a, a kind of a theme, I guess, where um, Syrian Syrian parents, for some reason, the dads especially, from specific areas too, and I'm going to ask where he was from, kind of push their kids to to really pursue you know professional careers. Uh, where did you where did, where's your dad from in Iran? For me, I I For would me. say I think it's mostly because of the fact that they didn't have the opportunities that we do. Like, had our parents back in Iran back in the day, like they. They lived throughout the Taliban. They lived through a difficult time where education wasn't readily accessible. You were working to feed yourself and your siblings and your family. So it's, they recognize the opportunity and the blessing of it. So I think, I feel like that's one of their main factors of pushing us towards education. It was something they didn't have the opportunity to do. Yeah, it's really special to see like, you know, first gen, second gen kids, children of immigrants, like push themselves. Um, and I, I think it's, it's special to have the influence that parents, parent, you know, immigrant parents have to push their kids to do that. So very cool. Mm -hmm. um, so do you have any other family members who are involved in the medical, in medical industry, cousins, um, yeah, things like that? Um, my immediate family, no. Um, I have a few cousins who are not even cousins, like distant, distant cousins that are nurses and that's about it the rest of my immediate family were blue collar jobs <laughs> cool so um i want to know a little bit more about who like your dad um and your sister being influences and i mentioned earlier that you had some you know you spoke to uh, dr avas and john zia I'm curious were there other people who influenced you like in school and college or you know people you interacted with or saw people who shape you to become who you are with respect to personality and character and who may, uh, may have motivated you to pursue medicine um i would say that i had a professor when i was in high school she taught our math class and she was a professor phd in physics that taught me math which was amazing <laughs> um she really instilled the love of learning within me and just kind of saw my potential before I even recognized it. Dr. Staley was just an incredible woman who I would say definitely, I know on a personal account, many people that she's impacted, 
she was one of the first people that made me realize like, okay, I, I, I am capable. I just, because I come from an immigrant background and I don't feel as smart at times or whatever, maybe she, she saw this potential in this light and just continuously perpetuated that within her students. She'd remind you that you are capable, you are bright, or like she'd sit you down and be like, what are your career goals? Like my math teacher in junior year of high school sat me down and asked me what I wanted to be. I was like, oh, um, no one's ever asked me that before. My dad's told me what I should be, but no one's asked me what I wanted to be. So she was huge in that regard. Um, other reasons as to like why I was gravitating towards medicine, I would say I saw the lack of just a need, not even the lack of like support. It was the need where I'm from Turlock. We have so many Assyrians here and we have two Assyrian doctors. <laughs> um, it was just being that immigrant that was always sitting in the patient room or translating for family members or helping people. Like I would get calls nonstop, even in undergrad, it would just be like, hey, Savet, we have a doctor's appointment. We need some help. We don't understand this. Just being that little center ground for people was definitely one of the other gravitating forces or just motivational factors of entering into medicine. So is that Emanuel Medical Center in Turlock? I worked at Doctors Medical Center in Modesto. Um, mm -hmm. As a scribe, I would translate often, but experiences weren't always just at Emanuel. Like, yes, I had family members who went to Emanuel. I had family, just regular primary care appointments too, if they couldn't get in to see one of the two Syrian doctors we have, who you can imagine are very, very busy trying to attend to all of the Syrian population here, um, just those as well. So you kind of like identified like a gap. Are you are you curious? Or I'm curious to know like are you are you going are you gonna go back and practice in Turlock? Is that your goal? A hundred percent. I am very very family oriented. Like right now, I had two days off and I shimmied my way down to Turlock because I was like I miss my family. <laughs> um, I gravitate towards family and just being within my community. Um, I do know that being within a community of healthcare providers that are supportive and just understanding as to your why, your reason as to why you wanna be there is really important. So a lot of the people that I grew up here just working, even at doctors, um, we all, we get it. Like we, we get each other's struggles. So I think it's really important for me to be in a community that resonates with my reasoning as to why I wanna be a physician. Yeah, it's, it's cool to see that like you, you identify this like lack of supply so there's like two doctors that are Syrian there and there's always Assyrians that need to be seen and they there's a language barrier and also there's there must be something where like if you were a doctor who's who's a Syrian you're seeing Assyrian patients they feel kind of like a comfort uh, and me medicine can kind of I guess be a little bit cold sometimes in that the interaction between patient and doctors might not be super comfortable um, again, you know more about this than I do, of course, but I, I would personally, if I were to go in, I'd, I'd want to see someone Assyrian, especially if, you know, Assyrian is my first language. I'm not too comfortable with English and just the familiarity. Is that something that kind of like also uh, made you gravitate towards that? I would say yes, but it's not just the uncomfortability of the language barrier. It's just like when you're in a room of other Assyrians. I think I feel it now more so than ever because I'm in Sacramento and there isn't a huge Assyrian community there. Um, one of my Armenian classmates and I automatically like got really close just because we have that common culture, that background. Um, it's just not, I don't know, there's a difference in just being understood when there's another Assyrian in the room. It's like when I was working as an ER scribe, I can't tell you how many times I heard, 
like just the second they hear that you're a Syrian there's that like oh my god like I, I just I it was adopted into their family within minutes do you know what I mean so it's, it's, that like, it's like a vibe it's a vibe yeah it's a yeah and it's just knowing that they get it where they're like we always say there's a hidden curriculum within everything right and I think within the doctor patient interaction there are things that as an Assyrian provider I can think of to ask or to say with my Assyrian patients where someone who isn't within the Assyrian community won't even know some of the struggles that they could be dealing with. Um, and I think that's really important to bring that to light and understand that that's a need. That's a hidden need that we don't even think of because the first thing we acknowledge is the language barrier. You can bring someone to translate into a room, but that's not going to create that culture shift or there's that like warmth and that ability to be more trustworthy. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's definitely a special thing. Speaking on your experience, like you said, you worked in the ER and scribe. What was like your most beneficial experience in kind of preparing you for medical school or kind of made you feel more comfortable about this is the path I want to choose? Oh, 100 percent being an ER scribe. I, I even when I because I worked at a clinic as well. I worked as a, like an urgent care scribe for a little bit. But being in the ER, you're surrounded by other professionals. You have your PAs, you have NPs, you have nurses, you have ER techs. You have this whole array of just the entire community of medicine around you, and you're able to fine tune. Where I could easily tell where I was like at first I like toggle. I'm like, should I have gone to nursing school? Like, would I have been better as a nurse? Am I like this is so long? Because obviously medical school is a very long time. Um, but it was being in the ER setting where I realized the questions that I was having in my head or like the curiosity that I had was only able to be understood by some of the doctors. They were the ones who were sitting there giving me in-depth answers. Um, I think that was, it was astronomical into my decision as to like which direction I wanted to go in medicine. Um, but just being there, you won't know until you know, like you can sit here and be like, I'm going to be a doctor. And then you spend one day inside of an OR next to a patient. You're like, can I do this every single day for the rest of my life? you won't know until you're there. So I've, I've always told every single pre-med, Assyrian or not, just find a way to shadow, get in, get in, get your hands dirty and try to figure it out because you won't know until you're there in that moment. Definitely. And then now that you've had your first year and a lot of pre-meds, they have this kind of huge, you know, medical school is this end goal, right? And it's a huge, like daunting thing. Everyone's scared of it. What are kind of the misconceptions you've had of, Medical medical school before and the reality you see now. Oof. Ah, <laughs> um, I'm only in. I'm what like six months in now. Um, I think just going in, I was very scared. Um, especially coming from a state school, I feel like I had that notion in my head already. I went in with that imposter syndrome where I'm like, am I am I capable of this? Did I just luck out or? But being there and seeing how comfortable I quickly became where yes, the information is a lot, but the comfort that just comes within being inside of a medical community, it just fit. Like it was the people around you just get it. I don't even know how to describe it. It's this like culture shift that even when you're there, there's a little culture within itself. And it, you have a lot more help than you realize. And a lot of people feel the exact same way when they, like, there's a reason why people talk about imposter syndrome so much. I don't know if Cornell can attest to that, if it's the same thing in law school, where when you're just sitting in class, you, you wonder if you're capable and then you suddenly turn around, all of your friends are feeling the exact same way. So it's not necessarily that you as an individual are not capable. It's just, you need to be in the right area to flourish. Like you need the right nutrients and the right resources and once you find the right school that gives you that I, I don't 
it's not an end all be all like I'm yes there are ups and downs there are moments where I feel like I'm drowning and I cannot breathe in medical school because there's so much to do and there are moments where I'm like oh this is fine I'm doing great it's okay you walk into the exam thinking you're gonna fail and you walk out and you got an A and you're like oh okay <laughs> not as bad as I thought so it, it comes in strides yeah I think almost every pre-med student has had the imposter syndrome just like it's a huge task going to medical school and becoming a doctor. And then for your application, what kind of made you decide on which schools you were going to apply to and like how many schools you were going to apply to? What influenced those factors? Um, I would say that my case is a little different. So I was applying in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I was originally supposed to take my MCAT in, I think it was April. Yeah, April. And then I ended up being one of the students where my exams got canceled because of COVID. Um, so then I had ended up taking my MCAT after I had already applied. So that really changed how I applied because I didn't have a score to fall back on, right? I didn't know what I was going to get on the MCAT. So I applied to a lot of schools and I just kind of like shotgun approach. I was like, I'm just going to go wherever. I, if I think I'm going to be happy in that community, I'm doing it. Um, so I think I applied to like 30 schools or something. But again, I didn't know what my MCAT score would be. So I didn't have that buffer. Um, realistically David was, Davis was my first interview and I was like okay we're good and the second I did my first I interviewed with Davis back in like October so then I got my results like they told me I was accepted December 15th and then after that I canceled the rest of my interviews if I'm being honest because I just I knew I was like Davis is home yeah <laughs> um so it, it, it depends if you have all of like your factors if you know what your scores are realistically if you know your application then you can kind of tailor where you apply more so and don't waste your money but you never know where you're going to get an interview though so just apply yeah and then um speaking on your MCAT um do you have any tips and like useful resources that you use to study for that I know me and then the rest of the my friends on the podcast are also going through it right now. So we'd love to hear some tips on what helped you. So the first time I studied for the, the MCAT, I really didn't realize what I was getting myself into. Um, again, my, my circumstances were a little bit different because I was helping manage the care of my uncle who's battling stage four lung cancer right now. And that was, that was a lot balancing it. So if I could go back, I would definitely learn to say no. I feel like those of us in the Assyrian community, especially, we have this guilt of not being able to say no to our family. We're like, we're there for our family no matter what. And sometimes that is not the best for our mental health. <laughs> um, had I been able to delegate and rely on other family members for support, I probably, it would have been a lot easier on me. But I would definitely say, dedicate your time. Like if you're studying, you're studying. If your mom walks into your room and says, hey, let's have chai, you say, sorry, mom, like I need to study. Um, but those are basic necessities. I feel we should know that already. But again, in the same community, we don't, our boundaries aren't as strict. <laughs> but if I could go back, I would definitely, like I was telling you earlier before we even started the podcast, it's if you're in a position where you can just hammer through the material quick and then start with questions. Like you do not know what you don't know in material. If you have not taken practice exams yet, if you're not doing questions, I would definitely recommend UWorld. That was big. Obviously save your AMC material till like near nearing your exam because you don't want to waste the material that's most closely resembled to the exam until the very end. Um, and then, yeah, I think those are like the two that I really, really appreciated and enjoyed. 
Um, if you're sitting there toggling between Kaplan or Princeton, like just pick one, they're essentially the same. <laughs> they, I don't think there was that big of a difference when I was studying. I just remember I'm like, at, regardless of materials there, it's just about how you apply it. Um, I would say if those of you who are not familiar with Anki, it is amazing. We use it in med school. You're gonna hear it left and right. Once you guys get in, God willing, you all will. Um, it is life-changing. Space repetition is your friend when you are studying. And I mean that, like the sooner you accept it, the sooner you will start to excel <laughs> in every regard. It's, you have to start that space repetition and Anki is this platform. It's like a flashcard system where mm. it, it automatically generates like this system of like how often you see cards and whether or not you know the card or don't know the card. Um, I highly recommend you guys. There's a bunch of YouTube videos you can watch. There's an Onking is like the med school one where they'll talk a lot about like the med school deck. Um, that will come at a later time though, but I'm sure they have some for the MCAT. Yeah, um, I'm actually using Miles Down deck right now. I don't know, do you, did mm -hmm. you use a specific deck for your MCAT study? No, I, I didn't get into Anki when I was studying for the MCAT. I should have, in hindsight. Mm -hmm. Hindsight's 2020, right? We learn yeah. from our mistakes, learn from my mistakes, use it. I heard great things about the Miles Down one. I, like, I think some of my friends in that school used it. They all thought it was great. But again, that's when you're like studying and you're trying to do get through the bulk of information, I would say give yourself at the very least two months of just straight exams and questions where you're done with content and you're just doing exam after exam and filling in gaps. And then you said for UC Davis, that was your only interview because you obviously got in. How, how was that interview like? And I know there's different interviews, MMI or uh -huh. what kind of process was that and how was that for you? So just to clarify, I did also interview with Western down in LA. And then I interviewed for like the closest med school in Fresno, Clovis. Again, I was really big on being close to my family. So I was like, I'm going to, I'll interview the ones that are near proximity. Um, and then the MI, UC Davis was MMI format, which was, I think the best advice I got, because I texted one of the MS2s at the time that I knew. And I was like, hey, I got my interview with Davis. What do I do? Like, where, how do I prepare? And she was just like, if, if you got an interview, you're in. Like at the once you get to the point where it's MMI, they they want to know who you are as an individual. Like your scores are great, your your extracurriculars are great. Now is it who are you as a person? And I went in me. Like what you're seeing now is what you got then because I did not want to be at a school where I didn't fit in. And because that's really big to me, I want I want to know the type of people they'd be accepting into their school. So if I don't like them and they don't like me, then we're not a match because to a certain extent it is, there's a culture in each of the different medical schools. So my main thing with MMI is just answer honestly and answer truthfully. Um, you need to be sure that you are aware, like take moments before you answer. If you need a second to think, think before you speak, because again, you can't take those words back, right? Once you say them, you say them. Mm -hmm. And it's just about being very understanding and open-minded is the best way I can say it, or think of all the different situations that could arise from this one question. Okay. And then, so your first year, obviously, is still going on. How, can you kind of describe the structure of the schooling at UC Davis and how it is for your first year compared to like undergrad? Yeah. <laughs> it's like undergrad on steroids. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's like, here, I'm actually going to sign into my calendar and actually just describe my day-to-day -day life. Um, 
So I'm on a brand new curriculum. UC Davis just started a brand new curriculum, which is like the iExplore. So it's very team-based learning. And you guys are going to see that across every med school across the nation, essentially within the next few years. All of the schools, even pharmacy schools and stuff like that, they're all shifting towards this more. We need to get out of the lecture, like professor student scenario. And it needs to be more integrated where you students are talking, they're having discussion, they're having conversation, and they've found studies that actually showed that helps with learning. Um, so currently at UC Davis, we have in-person required like active learning sessions, eight to 12 every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then in between those times, so the rest of Monday afternoons, all of Tuesday, all of Thursday are normally pre-recorded lectures. Um, and then what's unique about UC Davis is that we have this thing called longitudinal clinical experience. So as a first year, I'm already in clinic where I go in every other week and I'm working one-on-one -on -one with an attending and they take me and we see patients together. I practice my physical exams. I practice doing oral presentations, just the whole nine yards. Um, so that was one of like the really, really cool things about Davis where we have that. And then, yeah, so pretty much that's my week on the weekends if I'm at clinic. My weekend's kind of gone. I'm at clinic at 7.30 in the morning on a Saturday until about 3.30, 4. And then I spend the rest of the night doing my charts. Well, not the rest of the night. I call it quitsies at like 5 on Friday, Saturdays. <laughs> Friday, Saturday nights are my my time. I don't I don't study unless it's like absolutely, like I have a big exam or a big project due. Um, yeah, and then you just do your charts and stuff. And Sunday's usually like catch-up prep day where you're just trying to make sure you're organized for the week. You got everything done that you need to get done. Plan meetings, schedule meetings, things like that. So how do you feel your work-life balances throughout this year? Do you still have some like alone <laughs> time for yourself and then family time as well? Um, I think you'll have as much time as you allow yourself to. Like one thing they told us at med school that like really stuck with me is that med school doesn't stop. Like it's not gonna stop for you. It's not gonna stop for your family. It's not gonna stop. So you need to triage and prioritize what's important. To me, family is really important. So I make time to come home when I can, um, even if it's two days, but I'm also really, really blessed that I'm only an hour and 15 minutes away. Not everyone has that blessing where they can just like, some people have to fly on a plane and like, it's, it's a lot more complicated. But for me, I'm nice and close. So I go when I can, my family will come up and visit me whenever they can. Um, I would say with work-life balance, med schools are shifting a lot more where they're recognizing that mental health is important. The student's happiness is important. So we have scheduled like breaks. They, they call it our diastole period where we're in a period of relaxation. Um, so it's about every two months-ish. We have a week where it's just no schoolwork as in like homework for classes. Like it's more educational development, mental health awareness, we sit and we talk, we reflect, we meet with our one-on-one -on -one coaches and just discuss like, what have we been feeling? What's different? What are have our expectations been met? Things like that. And then obviously they give us like other resources for like, what do you want to do for research? What do you want to do for your summers? Let's start talking about it. So again, you're still doing things, but it is a period of rest. It's that diastole period where you're just kind of taking a breather and then you hop right back in the next week. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great to hear that there's still some time for us and it's not crazy as every pre-med brings it out to be. Yeah. And then, Bernil, I know you had a couple questions for Savet. Yeah, so I think you guys actually hit a lot of the stuff that I was curious about uh, learning just kind of like 
walking through us a day in your life. Maybe I can get a little bit more granular here, but mm-hmm. um, I don't want to get redundant. So just, you know, as you hit the floor, your feet hit the floor in the morning, you wake up, you're, uh, you're in the first year of med school. What do you, what do you do? I mean, do you, is there a certain thing you eat to get you going? Do you drink a lot of coffee? Um, I know like in law school, I, I catch myself drinking like, you know, five, six cups of coffee a day, sometimes like overdosing on caffeine, I switch to chai. So kind of curious, like what's your morning routine like just getting yourself motivated? How much coffee do you drink? Uh, and then I have to ask the million dollar question since you're a Syrian, how do you take your chai? <laughs> so I don't want to disappoint you guys, but I'm definitely at a point where chai is just not doing it. Like I need, I need more caffeine than that. So <laughs> I usually, the first thing I do when I wake up is I have to have a cup of coffee. Invest in an espresso machine. Those of you who don't have one, these little things, like you just put the pot in nice and fast. It is kind of pricey, but dude, it like will save you. Actually, it won't even save you. It'll just make you happy. Like I don't even know how to put it. That, that, that's what gets me up in the morning. I'm like, I'm about to have a fresh cup of coffee. It'll be great. Um, I try to limit myself to about three cups. That's my max. Um, I've, those of you who haven't read about Matthew Walker, he is a sleep psychologist from Berkeley. Absolutely incredible. If you can have time to listen to one of his books or read it, definitely highly recommend. I quickly learned that caffeine cannot be my best friend, even though I desperately want it to be. And you'll find yourself in medical school. There'll be times where you're going to be so busy and just the anxiety will, you, you can't sleep. Like you'll lay in bed and you're like, I have 50 things on my to-do list. I knocked out 20 of them, but then another 40 got tacked on. So now what do I do? So definitely limit your coffee and sleep is so, so important. Like I get my eight hours, seven and a half is like where I'll be pushing it. I I try to get my eight hours every single night because I quickly realized that if I am not taking care of my body, my body will not take care of me. I can sit and try to repeat the same deck of Anki cards a million and 10 times. But if I didn't sleep well, a task that should have taken me 15 minutes is now taking me an hour. That's ridiculous, right? you have to take care of your well-being. Your mental space needs to be right. So I definitely get in like gym three days a week for sure. That's like my happy place. And that's what needs to happen. I need to take care of myself. Um, Are they going to be an hour and a half long workout every time? No. But am I going to be there for at least 30 minutes? Absolutely. If I make it an hour, we're happy. But again, it's just taking care of yourself in that regard. So in my day-to-day... Real quick on um, uh-huh. on Matthew Walker, how we sleep. I think mm-hmm. uh, that's an, it's an excellent book. But yeah, great reference mm-hmm. for those listening. Uh, mm-hmm. Very good book. But real quick, also, uh, you didn't mention how do you take your chai. Let's just say you're not drinking. Uh, you just it's for fun. You're, you know you want to have some chai with your parents or something. Oh, um, okay. Again, I feel like I'm gonna disappoint. I just take it just how it comes I'm more of a, I like to, I like to eat my calories than drink them so I will minimize any type of sugar that I put in my drinks because I would rather have some chocolate or something after so yeah just how it comes perfect so actually way. that's like a good you know you, you take it straight up to yeah I don't want to waste my calories on sugar <laughs> I'm with you guys um so I want to know a little bit about how you eat to keep energized and focused and like you know, you mentioned exercising. Uh, how do you fit that in? I know it's it's hectic, and you know, is there a way you kind of like? Is there a certain thing you eat, or or is there a certain uh, exercise routine you follow? 
Okay, again, I'm very, very spoiled because I'm so close to home. Um, my mom is absolutely phenomenal. So she'll make me my like favorite khurush and I'll like freeze it if I need to. And I always have that locked and loaded in the fridge. And then I just make my own rice. I still like eating my Syrian food. It makes me happy. Um, I am very cognizant about how my life is right now where I used to be super active moving around 90% of the day. Now I sit for about 10 hours a day. And so my Apple watch will ding and it'll say, hey, you've been sitting for too long. And I'll say, okay, so I'll grab a standing desk and I'll stand and do my own key cards if I need to. But so my food intake is definitely dependent on how busy I am or if I know I'm gonna be getting in a workout that day. Um, I try not to eat out. One, it's expensive. Two, preservatives, cancer. We're just, the more you learn, the more you're like, okay, the world is a scary place. I'm just gonna sit in my room from now on. Mm. Jokes, don't sit in your room, but it is it's very just being realistic um i'm big on healthy brain foods so a lot a lot of blueberries lots of greek yogurt um i have to be careful of my kidneys because i do eat a lot of protein i i my gym pretty much involves me lifting weights i don't do a lot of cardio so i do have a high protein diet but then i'll make sure to supplement with as much water as i can just to be careful um, other than that, I mean, it just, I kind of go with the flow. If I'm feeling stressed, I'm going to go grab some ice cream because I'm in the mood for ice cream. So listen to your body. If I'm in a great mood and I've had a great week or I haven't ate out all week, my friends are going to go out and grab some drinks. I'm going to go out with my friends and grab some drinks. So it's just to be knowing your body and understanding Moderation. what you need, I think is really important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And just real quick, Ninos, I'm curious to know, since you're you're currently preparing to go to med school and you're studying a lot. Um, is some of that stuff like regimen, like do you program it in like regimen exercise and fun and, and uh, eating a certain way to just stay focused? Cause I know preparing for med school and the application process and MCAT is, is extremely rigorous. Yeah, I definitely am trying to kind of get into the swing of things and have a better schedule. Cause I know like if I'm not building those habits today, I won't be having that later on and it'll just hurt me. So yeah, definitely trying to get exercise at least something a day, you know, even just like a, what I usually like to do, like mid study session, I'll go for like a little light one mile jog because my brain's just tired and gets to get the blood pumping. And that helps me diet wise. I'm trying to improve, but sometimes it's a lot easier to just go out. So that's something I do need to fix. For sure. Um, yeah, definitely. Like even walks, like I know that helped me a lot as I was studying for law school stuff. Like it just helps to get out and get moving. A um, few more questions here that I want to kind of touch on are um, what, what are some of the things you like to do for fun? I know you mentioned like, you know, you'll go out with friends for drinks or you're going to hang out with family members and you like to spend your the limited free time you have on that kind of stuff. But, you know, maybe you've had a long day or there any like TV shows you like to watch or, um, and I think you might've mentioned social gatherings that they do for med students. Um, yeah. What are some things you like to watch and what are some social things that you, you do through Davis? So I'm not going to lie when you're in med school, there's not that much time to watch TV shows. I will be definitely, I'll be honest with you guys. Um, prior to being the chairperson for the Bathy, I, used to watch Netflix at night sometimes I'd be like okay I'm just tired my brain is tired I need to wind down um now I feel like every afternoon I have meetings um especially because you're just so jam-packed during the day with like schoolwork you don't really have time to set meetings um and again just taking on 
med school will be as you make it. You know what I mean? Like if you take on a lot of responsibilities, you're going to have a lot of responsibilities. So again, with like the chairperson position, I'm a lot more limited on time because I'm managing the clinic. Um, but really to wind down, it would, I mean, I'm not going to lie. No, 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 I'm not going to lie. I watch Netflix when I clean my room. You, you tend to multitask when you get really busy. <laughs> so <laughs> you turn on Netflix and you fold your laundry because you got to do that. Sometimes you'll watch a lecture at two times speed while you're folding laundry because you just need a second pass at it and you're just, but it does, it goes over your head. Don't do that. Um, regardless, uh, that would be one way. Um, as for like oh, social events for school, I am a part of like the social chair committee at our school. So we do, we try to plan events, but again, things are kind of hectic, even though COVID seems to be coming down after that second surge with being like an academic medical institute, you can't really say, okay, we're going to have a great event today. You have to be a little more cognizant about guidelines. And even though the mask mandate is coming down, we're still um, being very, very cautious. Again, we have a lot of patient interactions where we're in this longitudinal clinic. So we can't, if one student in the class gets COVID, it'll easily spread to other students and then more patients will get sick. So we're a little more cognizant. Um, we did like a Valentine's Day match thing where it was online. That was kind of cool. You like filled out a survey, said what you liked and didn't like, and then they like matched you with other classmates. Like you found like you had like a Galentine, a friend, friend Valentine. It was kind of cute. Um, yeah, but other than that, we haven't really been able to do very many social gatherings. So in like law school, they they have like something called bar review. Um, and so like, uh-huh. like you go out to bars and you do bar crawls or they set up like um, a barrister's ball, which is like an event where you go and party. So do they do like kind of like parties or bar events or things like that? Or are you guys limited because all the COVID stuff happened? They, they don't really do too much of that. Or do you guys organize it outside of? like the law outside of the med school do you guys just like have your own little get-togethers um yeah I mean like everyone has like their friend groups everyone hangs out with their friends like we're still again we're human and we need that social interaction we're not going to just crawl under a rock you know but we one thing we do is like sackyard is like our common trend after every single midterm or final everyone usually ends up at sackyard and we grab some beers but again it's like an outdoor seating area which is really nice out and open less risky um they usually have like happy hour, which is awesome because when you're in med school, you're dirt broke with a lot of debt. So you'll take happy hour beers. <laughs> um, yeah, we do. We try to do whatever we can. I know some of the guys do like soccer nights where they'll like get together and like do soccer together. There's some of us like that like in, really enjoy going to the gym together. I know some of the groups have like climbing. A lot of people like to go to like that pipestone place and they'll do group climbing sessions, which is a lot of fun. So you find people Very that have cool. like common interests. Nice. So I know you recently went to an Assyrian New Year's Eve party and I'd asked you like which one was better and in like the Thrillock area and I'd went to a separate one. But I'm curious, do you like going to Assyrian events when you when you have a chance? You guys won't realize how much you miss dancing in Assyrian until there are no events around you where people are dancing in Assyrian. <laughs> <laughs> like I used to when I was here, I would be like, oh, I don't have time. Like, especially when I was studying for the MCAT. I was like, no, 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 I don't want to go. I'm not in the mood to get ready. I didn't want to waste my time. I just need to be studying. And then you end up in Sacramento and you're like, gosh, I just want to dance again, like so badly. So, so like you yes. don't you don't put on like Oxford Bitsedius in your room and dance like a few rounds of Figyo when you're like in between in between studying. Yeah. Maybe I should. Maybe that'll be my like, I oh, could, you know, I your watch bings you, tells you to stand up. I can do that. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I really enjoy it. I honestly just go wherever my parents are going again. Like I said, I'm really big on family. So if my parents are going, I'm like, yay, I want to hang out with the family. So I go, my uncle's it's always a great time. So as long as my family's at the Assyrian event, I'm hundred percent down. But if my family doesn't go, I'm a little more timid. I would rather be hanging out with my family. Savette, have you ever been in a Syrian national convention? Yeah, I went once back in like 2000, I think it was 18 or 19. Arizona? Yeah, yeah, Arizona. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. so I was just going to say quickly, um, Assyrian Advisors hosts a social mixer and a series of lectures at convention every year. And we'd love to have you attend. So just for the record on the podcast uh, and participate as a speaker. And, uh, you know, you can also do the other fun stuff, dance again and stuff, but we'd love to have you uh, come to that. Yeah, it's always a great time. I think it's more so just being able to manage time. Um, for those that aren't in that school yet, enjoy it. Like you're not going to get three day weekends very often. And when you do, you normally have to study. So you're not really down to pay for a trip that you have to sit in a room and study in sometimes. There is a balance, but also just be aware that your time is not your time when you're in medical school. So again, I, I know we talked about it last time, Bernie invited me to the last one. And I was like, I, I just don't have the time. <laughs> like I'd love to be there, but just making the time is really hard. So you have to be kind of selective in what you do or don't do. Hopefully after the first year and um, taking your, uh, that exam that you guys have step one, hopefully things will uh, relax and then you can come. I know Ninos and I actually met at this last year's convention and uh, I spoke to him. I think I spoke to his sister. So that was like mm -hmm. our first time meeting. Um, so yeah, right. there's definitely a lot of cool, uh, cool opportunities for educated Assyrians, all Assyrians to interact. So I think it's just really important, that social aspect. Uh, Savannah, so I want to move. Just let me just clarify really quickly. I feel like this is like a misconception that a lot of people believe, and I did as well. So step one isn't until after the second year. A lot of people think step one is the summer first and second, but that big USMLE exam is near the end of second year. So uh, just so for the listeners for out there, yeah, it's pretty much all your like pre like clinical stuff is on that big exam. And it can, it can range. Some people take it sooner. Like you can take it a little bit sooner. Um, I think the latest you can take it is that summer. Like you have to get it done before you start rotations for third year. Um, I know some people that signed up to take it in February, I think they said, or March. Mark. After that is rotation. So you do like two years of studying, take your step one and then rotations or something else. Yeah, it's kind of, well, again, like I, it's kind of hard for me to say because I don't have the schedule for the next two years like other med students might because we're on a brand new curriculum so they're literally making it as we go um whereas for other people they pro can probably just ask like an ms an ms2 someone who's in their second or third year to be like hey can you give me the schedule for last year and they can kind of gauge it better um it's about a year and a half ish of like actual classes and then you you go into like a dedicated step study period where it's just you and your textbooks like that mcat mcat grind that you guys are in right now mm -hmm. but for step so you're studying for step as you go, but near that last like tail end before you take the exam, you're in your dedicated study time. Just and for the listeners, sorry, let me just, I'm so no, sorry. I interrupted you. Um, a lot of what you do for residency, it's, it's huge in that beginning phase of medical school. So like all of first year and like a little bit of second is like really important because those are the things you're going to be talking about in your interviews. Because once you are done with one and a half ish years you go into that dedicated step study period so you can't do much you're going to ease off of research you're going to ease off the student run clinics like our second years are already out of student run clinics we're the ones taking over now 
So you got to like, when you come in, if you feel like you're, you're getting the grind of school and you're doing well in your classes, start tacking on some of those extracurriculars because step is past fail. So there is the extracurriculars will pay, play a little bit more into residency now. And does uh, UC Davis in the curriculum do anything to help you guys prepare for that step test? Yeah, so that's why they shifted the entire curriculum, essentially, is that they want us to be able to integrate everything a lot more, where I'm, instead of just taking like pharmacology in one block, or just taking, I don't know, like cardio in one section, they're integrating all of these sections within each other. So like, for example, my last exam was on hematology, so the study of blood, cancers of the blood, um, heart-related stuff genetics about the heart, um, pharmacology, like medications that have to do with heart stuff where they're like trying to bridge things into each other. And then they start asking questions about the stuff you've learned in the past. So like our last block was pathogens and host defense. So all of those like microorganisms. Now they're asking us questions about the heart that have to do with microorganisms. Like, yes, we learned them last block, but now they're integrating them into these questions and forcing you to recall. So again, it's that spaced repetition. Mm -hmm. Now they're taking a little more hands-on approach in it. It's great to hear. And then mm -hmm. I kind of just had a um, couple last questions for you. For current applicants applying this cycle, what's your like last word of advice for them? Be prepared. Um, like anything is scary if you don't have the resources. If you don't know what you're getting yourself into, like it could be scary. So just be prepared. I would say for those that are applying this cycle, ideally, hopefully you're almost done with your MCAT studying. Hopefully you have like a rough idea of what you want to do for um, your app, like your primary application. Like why, what's your why, knowing your reasoning, all that stuff. You don't want to do this. This isn't last minute. I'm going to toss together my essay for the night before. No, like you need time to think to reflect, to think back and then have multiple people read your essays. Like I had multiple friends. I had friends of friends who didn't even know me read my essays because I was like, they don't know me. They're not gonna sit here and be nice. and be like, oh, what a nicely written paper and not wanna hurt your feelings. I was like, I want someone to tear this paper up and then hand it back to me so I can figure out what I did wrong. Um, so things like that. And just for those who haven't applied or aren't applying this cycle, I would say start brainstorming for the prior year. Like start thinking about your reasoning as to why before. If I could go back, I probably would have already started a rough draft of my personal statement before I went into hardcore MCAT studying. And then like that would have given me, again, spaced repetition, right? It would have given me time away from my essay to sit and focus on the MCAT and then come back and regroup. Maybe in between, I could have done another pass on my personal statement. Um, those of you who don't already know about the secondary essays, Nunes, do you know a little bit about secondary apps already? Um... I know they, each medical school sends you like different types, but yeah. that's like the full extent to what I know. So don't get too excited when you get a secondary application. I'm just going to be honest. A lot of schools send them to everyone because they want to make their money. Um, there is a website that pretty much has like a conglomeration of all of the secondary applications that they've sent out in past years. I think that's huge. It's an open website. They're essays that they've used from years before. So you guys can kind of like look through those and start thinking of secondary applications because you're going to send out all of your primary applications in one bulk. And then you're going to get like five essays that are due on the same day. And you're like, mm -hmm. ah, and in the meantime, you're working or you're like doing other things because you're done with the MCAT, right? Like you're back to normal with like your normal life. So those take time. If you can start pre-writing secondary applications after you're done with the MCAT, I would say that's huge. 
but don't stress about it until you're done the MCAT because that's like a huge load in and of itself. And is that what you did? You started pre-writing them? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I, even if I wasn't pre-writing some, like I pre-wrote for all of like the big schools that I really, really wanted to go to that I knew that I'd be applying to. Um, that was huge. And then it was helpful. Yeah. And then my last question for you, being a Syrian, how did that factor into your application? If I'm honest with you guys, like, I don't think I would have gotten into medical school if I wasn't a Syrian. Like, I'm not going to lie. At this point, there are so many people that are applying to medical school and we just don't have as many medical schools available. Like if you think about it, like population size, America has grown, Mm -hmm. but we still have like, yes, they're making new medical schools every year, but it's still not at the same rate as people wanting to get in. I think being a Syrian made me really unique. And I think it, it definitely helped with my why. And I was passionate with my why, like uh, the interviewer saw it where I saw like they, they were focused in when I was talking because I was so passionate about what I was talking about. So just being a part of the Assyrian community and having something to give back and being passionate about giving back was huge. So we're underserved and that's the truth of it. So if you're there and you, you know you're gonna come back and serve the Assyrian population, then talk about that. Be honest about it, about how you've seen it with your family. You've seen people disregard a family member because they don't speak proper English and you've had to stand up and kind of advocate. Those are things that people want to know. Yeah, definitely. I think coming from an Assyrian background, you um, your parents have just sacrificed so much to come to America. You just want to give back to not only like your family, but also your community. 100%. Or maybe it's just because like you are Syrian and it's in your blood. And so you just have to be excellent. It's just like the only option you have. So that's probably. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree. I don't, I don't believe in that kind of blood stuff to me. It's all a blessing. Like God has given us so much, just the opportunity to be here and he's written our story perfectly. So we're here. It's a blessing. Definitely not my blood because I'm a big proponent of you can get anything you work for. You're not born into a situation. You work your way into a situation and then you fight out of it if you need to but it's not just like, it is what it is. I think it's because you're a Syrian. All right, so I wanted to just like (laughs) uh, go through a last couple, three questions um, to round round stuff off. So um, are there any things you would have done differently now that hindsight is 2020? I mean, in the application process, growing up, going through college and maybe just in med school, like things that you would have done to prepare yourself better if you could talk to yourself a couple years ago. Okay, again, like, I really think God blessed me in so many ways. Like, I think I wasn't, I didn't know, like, I didn't go in to all of my extracurriculars and undergrad with the idea of, like, this is how I'm building my application. There were open doors, and I took them. I don't know if I would be here today if I didn't take hold of some of the opportunities that arose, but I didn't, like, actively go searching to be like, I really want to do X activity because I think it'll look great on my application. So if when you're doing your application, you need to be a little more intentional than I was. Again, I think I just kind of like lucked out. God really blessed me there, but it's about having your why should be, should show in your application, like your extracurriculars. If I'm saying I'm passionate about the Syrian community, well, what have you done for the Syrian community? Where, Mm. or like, if I talk about, like, I got lucky again, that it, it worked out the way it did because I did some work with the Assyrian, um, Institute here where they help like the refugees in Iraq or like being able to train in the ER. Yes, thank you. Syrian Society. Like I helped out there, there and then go. I helped out being able to translate in 
the ER setting or like things just worked out the way they did. But again, so if you want to talk about, even if it's on the Syrians, like if you want to talk about how you're helping underserved communities, well, you better be working with some underserved communities. You can't just say it and not have the bulk of like your application be that, right? And it's about being holistic. Like I, I did a lot of things where, for example, I helped out, I volunteered at my church, like my Syrian church and my American church where I was volunteering with BBS. Does that have anything to do with medicine? No, but is it something I was passionate about? Absolutely. So it's about showing that you are a human. So I think in hindsight, would I do things differently? No, because I'm happy where I am. I'm really, really thankful that I'm at UC Davis and I feel like I fit in really great at the school. Had I not gotten in, maybe I would have not gone to a state school. Cause again, I didn't have a lot of research opportunities. I did research in undergrad, but it wasn't crazy research that's gonna get me into like a renowned school. I did interview with UCSF. So that was like a big, I was like, ooh, that was sideball. I wasn't expecting it. I did it on a whim. Um, but again, it's, I maybe I would have gone to a UC instead to like have more opportunities, more like pre-med encompassing. But again, I got to where I got with less debt. So I'm kind of, you never know. I don't know. It just worked out. So I can't say yes or no yeah. in one direction. Yeah, that's, I think that was excellent advice. Um, another thing is, are there any quotes or mantras you live by that help push you, like things you think of or say in your head, that internal chatter uh, to help push you to achieve as much as you have? Absolutely. If someone else did it, so can I. Excellent. Which isn't great when that. you're like paving the way. But like, again, like when I was in the Syrian, like when I met with Ahara for Assyrian advisors, that was huge to me. Like I had not met an Assyrian physician, let alone a female Assyrian physician. Like not, okay, let me edit this out. Let me, let me backtrack. <laughs> when I spoke to Ohara for Assyrian advisors, that was huge for me because I had met other Assyrian physicians, but never a female Assyrian physician. She was the first time I saw a female a Syrian who was a doctor. So if someone else can do it, why can't I? And that was huge. Being able to rely on people within our community to look up to them, to say, I can follow in your footsteps. Yeah, I love that. I think it's it's really important to be able to like, just look at someone else's frame and be like, oh, like they did it, why can't I? And that's exactly what I did personally in pursuing law. So that resonates a lot with me. Um, and I'm sure like Ninos, like, you having spoken to Emmanuel, Dr. Emmanuel Shapira and like seeing all these other doctors, like, you know, I'm sure that pushes you to say, Hey, like I'm no different. I've got two legs and two arms and a a mind and like, I'm capable of doing this and let me do it. Definitely. Um, So seeing all the uh, just different MD candidates and doctors, especially on a Syrian advisors, just gives me more confidence that, you know, it is possible and like I can make it just like they did a confidence awesome. booster for sure um and Savet, is there a final piece of advice you can share with the audience about the importance of giving back to syrians and your nation you've done a lot of it obviously like you mentioned helping out the syrian aid helping out a church helping out doing what you're doing literally right now with this information that you're sharing taking this time out and again we're super thankful that you're doing this um is there you know something you would say that uh, not just past like the immediate, hey, like I'm, I'm getting a benefit because you do like in the sense that it helps boost your application and things like that. But I mean, just maybe spiritually or, or something internal, like is there some benefit to helping out other Syrians and giving back? I think regardless, it's not just like, okay, that's a kind of like a loaded question. <laughs> um, it's not just giving back to the Syrian community in like this way. 
it's just remembering that we're all like we all come from the same place um I can sit here and talk about med school as long as you want me to to like give back to our Syrian community but in reality it's how we treat treat each other as Syrian brothers and sisters like it's being supportive in every way possible if you found a resource that helps you share it with your brother and sisters like if you find something that's going to help boost your application work on a project together come up with ideas together collaborate like the sooner you guys get that this the better it'll be because I think there's like this notion of like the pre-med world where it's like really really competitive and then you get to med school and like everyone and their mothers wants to help each other like it doesn't matter who you are what culture you're from what race you're from like everyone wants to help so it's just learning that when you collaborate you can excel and so especially within the student community the sooner we learn to work together to make it to these higher educations that we're striving for the better it'll be for everyone yeah, I love that. Uh, that notion of like Assyrians helping Assyrians or, or just being willing to give back and open up your resources to other people. I, th I think it's incredibly important. And um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for hitting that point. Um, and don't be afraid to talk to each other about your struggles because no one's going to get it like your Syrian brothers and sisters are going to get it. Like even now in medical school, some of my friends don't get it when I have to get up and get a, take a phone call every 10 minutes because my family is going through something where your Syrian mm. brothers and sisters will, like they're in the same position. They're helping their parents with multiple documents, whether it's for work or if it's for insurance or hospital, whatever it may be, rely on each other and just know that other people are, I don't know, there's like this sense of unity when people struggle together. I feel like it makes it a little easier. Yeah, shared experience. Definitely. Um, I just want to say, you know, Savad, extremely proud of you. You've like been killing it. Uh, keep it moving, keep doing what you're doing. Um, it's amazing work and, you know, uh, thanks for setting up this podcast. This is awesome. I think, um, you know, what you're doing is excellent and, uh, you know, you have an extremely bright future. So thank you guys both. Yeah. Thank you guys both for coming on. I really appreciated it. And I think not only for the viewers, like they got really great advice, but I also learned a lot of stuff today too. And I definitely going to go and think about a couple of stuff, especially about my application. <laughs> so thank you, Savannah. Thank you, Brunil, for coming on. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was my pleasure and I'm looking forward to helping in any other way that I can. If you guys need me to read over your personal statements or whatever it may be, reach out. I just went through the process myself, so I'm more than willing to help. Um, one thing I will end on this last note, I just had to look it up to get the name right. If you guys haven't heard of Dr. Ryan Gray, MD, he does a lot about like the application process. Um, he was this, I think he wanted to be a flight surgeon or something, but then he ended up getting a diagnosis that rendered him unable to perform surgeries on an airplane. So now he's really big about like helping med pre-med students get into medical school. I used his book, it's called the Pre-Med Playbook, personal um, medical school personal statement guide. And that helped me astronomically. Like I think my personal statement flourished a lot more than it would have had I not read that book. So he has a different one for different types of interviews. All of that was really helpful. Awesome, I'll definitely be looking into that as well. Okay. And then um, just to the audience out there, we're going to be continuing on. I believe next week, Bruno, we have another MD candidate. Yeah, it's uh, Avin Elbazi. Awesome. So thank you guys again, and we'll see you guys next week.